Last week, Brenton talked about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, about how the church is a body and it has different members and each member has its own role. Different members practice different spiritual gifts. And how we don't all need to feel the need to practice every spiritual gift. This week, in opposition to that, I'm going to talk about the one spiritual gift that everyone needs to be practicing. So I'm going to be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It works out pretty well. I'm planning a wedding right now, and that's the wedding verse. It's, it's the one. Um, yeah, I'm going to be reading out of the New English translation, which... I don't know if any of you have heard of it, but it's my favorite right now. It's, it's a different, it's a change of pace. It's a thought-for-thought translation. They use lots of footnotes to explain why they translated it the way that they did. Um, but you can feel free to read along. We, we allow phones here. You can le- read along in whatever translation that you like. But I'm going to put the new English up on the screen. And it goes like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all of the mysteries and all of the knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, love does not brag, it is not puffed up, it is not rude, it is not self-serving, it is not easily angered or resentful, it is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I become an adult, I set aside the childish ways. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I, as I have been fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. How romantic, right? It just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. I love love. I love making people feel good, and especially those closest to me. So this is a verse that you, you might know by heart. So now you can sit back the whole sermon and just think about love, right? Love is patient and kind. It bears all things. Now that's one I want my fiance to hear. It bears all things. There's not really a gray area in what's being defined here. And it's really easy to get behind when we're the one receiving the love. But when we look at it the other way, it's a little bit intimidating. I like to say, you have to be kind to me. Paul said so. 
<laughs> but it's a lot more scary to say, I have to be kind to you. Paul said so. I think it's just, it's scary to see exactly what love is. And there's, there's no room for, for interpretation. It's very clear. That's heavy. Okay, so when I'm not working or, or reading my Bible or planning a wedding, I like to read normal books. And I didn't always like to read normal books. I actually had a learning disability, and so I, I never read as a kid. It wasn't until college that I actually started reading on a regular basis. Because of this, I feel like I have a lot of catching up to do. I feel like there's a lot of books I missed out on. And what this means is that you can catch me, a 23-year-old master's student, walking around reading children's books because I missed out on them. So right now I'm reading a series called The Chronicles of Narnia, and I'm sure some of you have heard of it, but Brenton suggested that it's a dated enough reference that I should explain it a bit more. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's written by C.S. Lewis. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, you could talk to one of us after. Um, it's a very symbolic series. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of very introspective, very spiritual and theologically sound books. And these are very spiritual and theologically sound books for kids. And they were written in the 40s and 50s, and it's classic adventure, dragons, sea monsters, talking animals. That's, that's a big one. The talking animals is probably the most prevalent thing. And it follows the story of four siblings, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And they get trans-teleported. They magically end up in this place called Narnia. And they become kings and queens, and they fight evil, and they have the help of this character called Aslan. Aslan is God in this story. And he is a great huge, beautiful, terrifying lion. And at this point in the series, I'm reading the fifth book. It's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And essentially what happens in this story is the two youngest, Edmund and Lucy, along with their awful cousin Eustace, end up on board a ship that is setting sail into unknown seas. And just so you'd feel a little bit more like Brenton was preaching, I included a map. <laughs> there we go. That can stay up there for a little while. So the ship had already set sail when they, when they ended up on it. And it was somewhere just about where it says Great Eastern Ocean. They were just kind of in the middle of nowhere. And this character, Eustace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about him quite a bit. He was awful, especially in the beginning. We don't like Eustace. He's bullying people. He's, he, he literally threw someone by their tail in the middle of a storm. He's stealing rations. He's making every dangerous situation far more dangerous. And they're, they're in the middle of nowhere. They can't get rid of him. He wants to be off, but they can't get him off. So then they land in the Lone Islands, which is the lowest set of islands right there. That's the farthest reaches of Narnia, but it's so far away that they don't go there very often. And they find that it has been taken over by a corrupt tyrant 
So they do what you do in adventure stories. They take down the tyrant, they end slavery, and they take back the land and bring peace, and everyone's happy except for Eusis. He's still trying to figure out how to get in touch with the British Council because he thinks they're still in Britain and that, the, that Parliament has power somehow. And then they set sail again, and it's a long journey to the next island, the, the one up there, Dragon Island, but it's not called Dragon Island yet. And everyone is working on setting up camp, but Eustace decides he doesn't want to help set up camp. He wants to go find a cave to sleep in. So he, he wanders off in the middle of the night, and a storm comes, and he finds himself in a dragon's cave. The dragon is dead outside, but he is now sleeping on the dragon's hoard, and he wakes up. By the way, dragons like gold and treasures and things. So he wakes up on a pile of gold the next morning. The storm has passed, but he realizes that he has been turned into a dragon. At this point, you're probably wondering how this has anything to do with 1 Corinthians. <laughs> so let's come back to it. Let's go to verses 4 through 7. Paul is describing exactly what love is. It is patient, kind, not envious, doesn't brag, it's not puffed up or rude, not self-serving, not easily, or it, yes, not easily angered or resentful, not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the way that he says those descriptors, it's not that love is sometimes patient, it's that love is always those things. Love isn't patient so long as love had a good day at work. Love isn't kind so long as it doesn't have a better place to be. There's no fine print on love being any of these things. It is always those things. Take it a step further. Love is always all of those things. Love doesn't choose between being truthful and being kind. That's an easy one to do. How often do we say something that is true, but we say it in a way that can't be received because we say it so unkindly? This is, this is a little intimidating for me because I'm, I'm about to be married and I have to, I have to act this way all the time? Okay, I guess, I guess I'll, try to, I'll try to treat my wife to be with love. But look at the verse again. Do you see anywhere that it says, husbands, this is how you need to treat your wives, or wives, this is how you treat your husbands? It doesn't say that at all. This wasn't intended to be read at your wedding and ignored the rest of your life. This is, this is the instructions. This is how we follow the commandment, love God and love people. So... I don't have to act, well, I do. I have to act that way towards my wife. But I also have to act that way towards everyone else. That's, that's a lot of people. <laughs> that's, that's intimidating. Got heavy again. Okay, so Eustace, he's a dragon. He's in a cave. He's smoke coming out of his nose, thick scales, big talons. He's scared of his own reflection. 
He went looking for some time alone, and he got exactly what he was looking for. But it was exactly what he was looking for that quickly became his punishment. He realized that he needed community. He needed friends around him. He realized that being alone on an unknown island is not a place you want to be, even as a big, scary dragon. And his heart began to change, and he, he saw that he needed to care for people, he needed to love people well, but externally he was, he was still a dragon. So he went back to his friends for help. Well, he went back to the people he had been with for help, because I don't know if they were his friends at this point. And he approached them, and they saw a big, scary dragon, so they tried to kill him. And eventually, he was able to convince them that he wasn't this terrifying beast that needed to be killed, but he was just a scared little boy that got turned into a dragon. And they promised that they would help him. They promised that they would, they would get rid of all, the, all of the dragon, and it would just be a boy again. But there was absolutely nothing they could do to, to accomplish that. So they would sit and talk to him, and they would, they would mend those relationships, but they couldn't do anything about the fact that he was now a dragon. So one night, while everyone else was sleeping, this huge, terrifying lion approached the dragon, and he knew nothing about the lion, because he still thought he was in Britain. And this lion, who we know to be Aslan, took him to a river, and he invited him to peel back the scales and to bathe in the river. And he peeled off a layer of scales, and he got in the river and he realized there's more scales. So he peeled back another layer and another layer and another layer until he realized that he couldn't, he couldn't get out of the situation he'd gotten himself into on his own. So he went to Aslan, the, the Jesus figure, and he said, I, I can't do this on my own. Can you help me? And Aslan said, yeah. And he took his claws and he dug into him and it pierced through the scales and the muscle and the bone. And Eustace was convinced it was going to kill him. He was convinced it was going to cut all the way through to his heart and that he would just die. I guess he's not a dragon anymore then. But that's not what happened. He was able to peel back the dragon skin and he was able to just be Eustace, the boy, bathing in the river. He had to go to God, and only God's love could pierce through the scales and everything else that wasn't supposed to be there. And it hurt terribly. As you can probably tell by now, the love that Paul was talking about is not romantic love, and it's not brotherly love. And it also, it doesn't make sense that this is used at weddings. The word used for love is agape. That's the love that God shows towards mankind. So the love that we're supposed to show towards each other and towards the world is the same love that, that God has for us. That's, 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 a big, that's a big thing. That is an impossibly high standard. No pressure? Like, actually, no pressure. This is such a big, impossible standard that you, you, can't, you can't be it on your own. 
and even with help, you will not always meet this standard. God doesn't ask that we be perfect. He asks that we try and that we come to him for help. And we get better, and we practice, and we learn. The story says that after Eustace was turned into a boy and they set sail again, how he loved people was altered by the weather a lot. So if it was a clear, sunny day, he could, without second thought, just care for people well and actually like, love them and have conversations with them without belittling them. But when it was raining, when there were big waves and they hadn't seen the sun in days, he would slip back into his old ways. That sounds really familiar. It's really easy on the bad days to slip back into the things we're not supposed to be doing. But there's grace, and we worship the God of love. This is, this is agape love. It's God's love. This is, not just the, this is not just what we are supposed to do. This is also a biography of who God is and what his character is. Our God is not rude or self-serving. He's not easily angered or glad about injustice. God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Another way of saying this is that God's love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. We can't live up to the standard that has been set for us, but all he asks is that we come to him and ask for his help. The love that we're supposed to have doesn't come from inside ourself. It's a reflection of God's love. That's what, that's what Paul was saying when he said it's a reflection. In the, in the New English translation, it says we, we see in a reflection indirectly. This is actually a place that I prefer other translations because they say we, we see in a mirror dimly lit. The Corinthians knew way more than any of us do about mirrors. They were actually famous throughout the world for their mirrors. And they would make these bronze mirrors. And they were, they were perfect. Most of the time, bronze is copper and then zinc or aluminum or just something cheap to fill the space. But Corinthian bronze was copper, gold, and silver. And it was some of the most expensive material on earth at the time. It was worth far more than gold, silver, or copper alone. And these mirrors reflected almost 100% of the light. Even today, mirrors reflect almost 100% of the light. But there has never been a mirror made that could reflect 100% of the light. And they knew that better than anyone else. What does that mean? Like, what, what am I getting at? We are the reflection of God's love, but we are not a perfect mirror. We don't reflect back all of the light. The church is supposed to be a reflection of God's love and God's kingdom. And we reflect that through the spiritual gifts, like 
like the church loved talking about the spiritual gifts and they loved comparing their spiritual gifts. But here Paul is saying the spiritual gifts matter now, but they don't matter in the future. Speaking in tongues is great, but it is nothing compared to being physically in the presence of God. Healing is a wonderful thing, but we will not need healing when God has put an end to pain and suffering. Prophecy? Prophecy is a really good thing. But why do you need to prophesy when it's already been concluded? Once the Lord's kingdom is at hand, gifts of edification will be entirely unnecessary. We will be as edified as possible. The only gift necessary is love. So how does that connect to a dragon? We all have our scales. I know I do. Eustace had scales on the outside. Un but unlike Eustace, our scales are on the inside. Eustace had a hard time loving anyone but himself. And that's something I can relate to in part. Like I said, I love love. I used to really love a cheap, fake kind of love. I used to love to use it transactionally. I'll tell you you have worth if you tell me I do. I'll give you a compliment if you give me a compliment, but that's, that's not love. That's not what God intended it to be. And as God broke through that, there were times in prayer that I felt like he was tearing through the scales and the flesh and the bone, and it hurt incredibly but it worked and God healed. And like Eustace, there are still those cloudy, rainy, stormy days that I fall back into my old ways. I invite you to close your eyes or leave them open, sit, stand, whatever. Just lose distractions and think about this. What are your scales? What is keeping you from reflecting the love of God? For me, it was the false view of myself and caring too much about what others thought about me. For Eustace, it was pride, and there are any number of things that could be keeping you from that reflection. I encourage you to stop trying to get rid of it on your own and offer it to God. Come to your community and ask for help. So what are those scales? What is keeping you from loving well? Lord, help me to be patient and kind. Keep me from envy and pride. Protect me from being self-serving and angry and resentful. Help me to protect, trust, hope, and preserve. Help me to show that kindness to everyone I encounter. Help me to lean on you and be an accurate reflection of who you are. So we look forward to the day when our faith is no longer faith in what is unseen, when our hope in what is to come has been fulfilled and all that remains is love.